As a change maker, you're dedicated to making a positive difference in the world. You love what you do and you're good at it. But here's the thing, with all the things on your plate, you may struggle with finding the right balance between work and having a fulfilling personal life. And as the world becomes more complex, it may seem change, disruption, and uncertainty have become new norms in your life and work. But it doesn't have to be this way. I'm Miko Marquette Whitlock, and I'm on a mission to help change makers like you improve your well being while increasing your well doing and changing the world without burning out. In every episode, my intention is simple to share practical wisdom about the inner and the outer work required to take care of yourself while building a better world, especially when it feels like work doesn't love you back. So let's get started. I have with you today and what I consider to be another everyday change maker out there doing great work in the world. Her name is Shelby Rogala, and she works for the Montana Nonprofit Association where she leads training and educational programming for nonprofit volunteers and staff across the state. And she is deeply passionate about adult learning, community building, and helping folks feel more confident and joyful. I love that, joyful in their work and their lives. And she is so dedicated to this that she is currently pursuing a master's in adult education and training from Colorado State. She has a range of experience working with folks from as young as three to 83 in a range of different environments. And something that I found very fascinating is that she's also on a national board of an association for snow sports instructors. I had no idea that such a thing existed, but she is working there to create a more inclusive, equitable, and vibrant snow sports community. So I definitely can appreciate that. And Hell's from Darby, Montana, currently lives, works, and play in, in Helena, Montana. And when she's not volunteering or working, she can be found reading a good sci-fi or fantasy series on our couch with her cats, taking walks with her dogs, or adventuring with her partner. And so with that, I want to welcome you, Shelby, to the podcast. It is so great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, excited to, to catch up and, and have a conversation. Awesome. So I appreciate you being here. And I want to just go ahead and kick us off by just asking a question about who you are. There are folks that are listening that are wondering who you are. I gave a bit of a, a brief bio sketch, but I want to ask you this question this way. So just briefly in your own words, tell us who is Shelby? What do you want people to know about you? What do you want them to take away from this conversation? You know, I, I kept skipping over that question because it's a big one, but I think I am somebody that works in the nonprofit world, has found myself in this sector and the association world as well both through a string of events and also in some ways feels like, oh yeah, that was absolutely the spot that that I would end up. I am someone who is very excited about helping other people find ways to do their jobs better, find ways to feel more confident or competent, help connect resources to people to make sure that we're spending less time worrying about some of the the solvable problems and more time grappling and getting curious about how can we facilitate change or just have a better day, right? Uh, because we're not stressed about our relationship with our 
board or how to file our 990. Um, in the nonprofit association world, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what tools and resources we yeah. can give to folks in that area. And then I'm deeply goofy and irreverent, I think is also probably an important thing to note. Yeah. All right. Love it. So goofy and irreverent, it sounds a connector of people and resources from what I'm gathering, and also really concerned about making space for people so that they can focus on the important things, right? And so you're got the broom, you're sweeping stuff up and you're making space for things and people can just come in and do the good work, right? Yeah, I love that. I love, I like the broom analogy. I'm going to have to bring that back to the rest of the team here. Awesome. So let's talk about um, where you started in your journey. So if you can remember, tell us about your first real job. How were you to find real? People have different definitions of that. But for you, when you think about your first real job, what was that for you? Well, I love this question. So real, real, I, I don't know because there's so many, right? In Montana, ooh, you start doing ranch work and doing whatever at a pretty young age and then babysitting. But I think we were, I was chatting with this about a colleague a couple of days ago, unrelated to this. And I actually think my first real, real job, like W9 or W4, whatever the, the, the document is, was teaching skiing or working for an after-school program, doing mentoring. I can't remember now, but one of the first real jobs I had was teaching skiing, which is something I started over 15 years ago and continue to do this day. And now I'm involved in this, in my volunteer and other life in ski instructing and being on the board. So it's fun to think about that through line of a pretty large chunk of my life it was has been spent with my feet in really uncomfortable boots and a cold nose <laughs> working with folks on, you know, how to ski. And now my role is more in working with other instructors and how they work with students on the mountain. And I think, you know, skiing is a, not a super relatable sport. It's a very, it can be really exclusive and there's a lot of barriers to access, but one of the things that has bled from my long-standing history of skiing has just been the education aspect of that. And I think even more than the actual sport has been the idea of how can we help people have a better day on snow, have a better day in their job, have a better day outside of their work. What does that start to look like? Yeah, I think that was my first real, real job. Well, that's pretty awesome. And I, so <laughs> I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about my own experience. I, I think skiing is one of those things for me up there, like with skydiving is why I take the risk. But now that I know that you are an experienced instructor, I might have to make my way to Montana and get some instruction. <laughs> I feel welcome. like I can trust you. You're welcome <laughs> anytime. You're welcome anytime. It's one of my, yeah, it, it is, it is a risky thing, but I think people can find so much joy and like agency and autonomy and excitement doing this risky thing in a, in a way where they feel supported and I always love to do that. So standing invitation. Yes. <laughs> and I love to this thread too, that I'm sensing from the, from our conversation too, about even with your work now, but also with, you, as you talked about your first job, helping people to have a good day. Like how awesome is that, that to have that as an intention to help other people have a good day. Mm -hmm. I think that's so awesome. So let's bring that forward then. So let's talk about how you're helping, have, helping people have a good day in your current work professionally. How are you currently making an impact in the world? We talked a little bit about the big room you carry, but can you give us a bit more about who the, the, the association is, who you serve, and what is your role in the organization? 
Yeah, my current work is with Montana Nonprofit Association. I've been here for about four and a half years of through a pandemic and navigating that continuing. And so it's been a really great experience. Most states have a nonprofit association of some type or region. So if you're listening when you're in Nebraska, there's a really great nonprofit association there. If you're in Idaho, same thing. So wherever, um, Florida, wherever you may be joining from, odds are there's a, a local or regional association. And we all work in similar areas in different ways, but we work to provide nonprofits, particularly C3 organizations with resources and support because we believe at least what we say in Montana is that we believe that nonprofits are so vital to a healthy environment, community, sustainable future. They're so important to the work that we, to our livelihoods, to the work we want to see as a state. And so we want to support that. So we do it through training and education, which is my area. We do it through advocacy and policy. So figuring out what are those big picture things that allow nonprofits as a, as a tax structure type of organization, a business structure, what allows them to have the resources they need. And then we also have like member benefits so that people can purchase like insurance at a lower cost or access other services like accounting or other back office services at a, at a lower cost by pooling the benefits of having a larger group asking for some of those things. So we work to provide that support to nonprofits across the state. And then my role specifically, we have a small team. I think there's seven of us right now. And everyone, I would say one of the things that's happened through the pandemic is we've really broken up some of the silos we used to have of this is member services and this is policy and this is training to say, oh, let's work collaboratively to solve these problems because we need to tackle and address them, get some resources out so that all of those myriad of obstacles facing nonprofits, which is a whole nother conversation of like (laughs) structural things. Like I think a lot of the time we are providing resources to support nonprofits operating in the system that currently exists. Another yes. that conversation is, okay, how do we change some of those like systemic yes. things so that we're not constantly sweeping and maybe we like just don't get as much dirt on the floor to yes. begin with. But- Excellent. Uh, Carrying through that yeah. metaphor. <laughs> I was like, can we do it? Can we do it? We did it. So yeah, I think that my work really focuses with the rest of the team on figuring out what are the solutions? How can we help connect nonprofit leaders, decision makers, volunteers, new nonprofit staff to each other, to resources that can save them time, money, headaches, whatever down the road. So let's talk about your job as dealing with uh, learning and, and development, professional development. So can you tell us specifically, maybe can you give us some examples of the types of needs organizations that you serve might have and how you specifically in your role help to meet those needs? Yeah, so we, the standard thing is we provide different training opportunities that kind of fall in different buckets. The first need that we see nonprofits have is simply like feeling isolated and disconnected uh, because they're in their own little sphere trying to do the work. One of the services we provide are month, free monthly calls for our members across the state where they can hop on if they're a development director, a marketing building person. community. Yeah. So just getting to hop on, connect, talk through things, peer problem solve together. We also offer a whole host of virtual like workshops and series. For us, those really fall in 
some of the main areas of nonprofit management. And so for us, that's board governance. So how do you recruit, retain, and have a really high-functioning, high-performing board of directors? In Montana, we have so many nonprofits per capita that like the, the requirements for uh, leadership are so high in the state that we really need to figure out how are we cultivating that volunteer leadership service. Uh, we have a pretty strong offering in financial leadership and management. So the people that got into nonprofits because they were so excited about change making, look at their budget spreadsheet and want to die. Like, how can we help support them move through that? And then we also do trainings in fundraising because of course, once again, we're in this position where we need to make money in order to fulfill our services. And that can be grant writing or working directly with donors. We provide trainings in those areas. And then a whole host of HR. How do we work through conflict? How do we make sure our employee handbook and personnel and policies are up to date? all the way down to IT. So how do we keep our website? So some of those things we provide internal training on. We have a really talented staff that can speak to different areas. Other things we provide external speakers and resources to meet those needs. Awesome. So it sounds like you all are, are doing a lot. And <clears throat> it sounds like also that your excitement is, is palpable in terms of the work that you're doing. And, and really, as you described it earlier, helping people to have a great day. Can you tell us, is there, was there a specific moment or a specific project that really started you onto the journey to doing the type of work that you're doing now? It's a great question. Um, not, I, I don't think I had to have a single moment. I think it's a, a series of growing up in a small town, like thinking about how experiencing and, and thinking about how you know, you have what you have in a small community. Yes. You can't really afford to um, alienate people. You can't really afford to bring in a ton of external resources. It's a problem. And so you really have to learn how to work within your community past those like points of tension and pain or disagreements and figure yes. out how do we, how do we make these things work? Carrying that through college and getting more interested and engaged in community organizing and, and impact and um, conversations. Like once again, how are we taking this huge amount of like human capital we're all surrounded by every day and helping bring people together in a way that both is like fun and enjoyable and then also is impactful and, and hopefully moves some needles forward so that we're not just condemned to repeating the status quo or feeling trapped. So not a like specific moment, but I think a series of opportunities and incredible people I've been able to work with or be inspired by. I, I love that the beautiful evolution. I mean, part of what you described is what some folks might describe as herding cats, right? And in the nonprofit spaces, particularly in the role that you're in, where you're working in an association, where you're serving different types of organizations, different sizes, people have different personalities. And part of being able to successfully serve people is being able to navigate those differences in resources, being able to navigate the differences in terms of the relationship dynamics. And it's, so it sounds like you're, you, you have to like a natural fit in that regard for this type of work. And, um, and not only that, but people are also facing internal and external pressures that are tied to the work that impact how they show up as well. So we have the pandemic is one of the ones that we experienced collectively as an example of that. So in that context, I'm curious if, is there one project or maybe initiative 
that really stands out to you in terms of since you've been doing this work that you're really proud of that you want people to know about? Yeah, so I think it, I don't know that it's a, a project or initiative. I think it's more some of the approaches we're starting to to take okay. and some of the conversations we're starting to enter into, which is like everybody right across the country, regardless of sector or industry right now is like, how do we recruit, like, how do we retain employees? How do we recruit new employees? How do we keep them in? How do we have better conversations? And there's, once again, there's fixing that and saying, oh, post your job here, have this job description, <laughs> up your benefits. But there's another deeper conversation around how are we structuring for us in the nonprofit industry? Like, how are we structuring positions and organizations? How are we embracing shared leadership models so that we yes. can adjust to a different set of expectations for leaders that are coming up and maybe don't want to work 80 hours a week for no pay and be exhausted and burnt out and not able to really take joy in meeting and the work they're doing. And so it's been really cool. And how do we restructure some of our workplace expectations that so that we can benefit employees differently? So we can provide spaces for well-being and, and mindfulness and then recognizing workers are always exploited in a workplace. That's um, capitalism, right? But how can we connect individuals like desire to have meaningful impact and to do their work well with the things they're working on while giving them the flexibility to also live their lives in a way that is rewarding and meaningful so that they are filling their cup, not just so that they can be better workers, right? But like really meaningfully living a better life um, because we certainly yes. have that. So. I've been having speaking to the heart of my vision for the work. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you can say all this way cooler than I can. So we've been able to bring in speakers and have conversations and bring leaders here in Montana and share some of the things they're doing to shift that expectation around what is work and what is yes. play and what is meaningful. And so it's been neat to shift that conversation. We have We've had you come and speak at our conference. We've had other folks talk about co-director models for organizations. Yeah. We get to talk about, we here at MA have a 32-hour work week. So I lied. Mm -hmm. We do have a cush. <laughs> but it has been such a change and, and such a shift and also hard. Like it's hard to change the way we've been taught to work, to accommodate a different setup. There's tension points with managers, but there's some momentum in our state and sector right now to explore like... How can we meaningfully shift and reimagine the world of nonprofit work in our state so that we can retain people who are like passionate and continue to be passionate versus getting tired <laughs> and disenchanted with what it takes to be a change maker when you're not working in like a fun, flashy entrepreneur role or getting some of the recognition that might come out of working in politics directly, like as a running for office, but how do yes. we again, make that gap, that third sector, that nonprofit work attractive, impactful, and maybe do things we didn't think it could do. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So you alluded to this in terms of some of the challenges folks are facing the internal and external pressures in terms of the sector and the demands of the work and the mismatch between that sometimes and the resources and other things that are available for you personally, I know that for any journey, like we're, we're talking about your journey, but we're highlighting some of the shiny milestones, right? But obviously there are, that things don't always go well. 
and we have difficult moments, right? And that's just a part of life. And so I'm curious, how do you stay inspired? How do you stay motivated in spite of sort of the inevitable, what I would describe as inevitable ups and downs on the journey? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think first I love, I have a degree in philosophy, right? I love to think about things and analyze <laughs> them and explore them. And I will say that the decision to start a master's program for me has been really additive because I get to have that space in that community to really dive yes. deep into exploring topics that I'm interested in. And it's renewed some of my excitement for the work I do and, and added another layer of it. And I don't think a master's is, I don't think, you know, education is always, I do think education is always the answer, but not necessarily <laughs> education. Yes. So I think that if you, if folks are able to connect to communities of practice or learning where they get to have mm -hmm. some other perspectives or deeper knowledge around how to, how to think differently about their work, I think it can add a lot of energy. The other thing has been very slowly deconstructing the idea that like I need to show up at 120% every day or every week mm -hmm. or every month and giving both myself and also the people I work with the grace to say, whoa, like we need a break. We need to make some space, man. I've just been off for a month and that's okay. Like we are, even when we are saving lives, like we have to know we're doing it in the long run and figuring out where is their need for urgency and perfection. And then where is there not that need and pressure? And so I am a big fan of no do nothing days, like no, no check days <laughs> when I'm not uh, working of creating a little more space to not hold myself or others to like this high standard, which I know all of y'all are on a similar journey <laughs> or maybe you're in the yes. outside, I don't yes. know. <laughs> so I heard, I think four things in there that are, I think I can tease out as really concrete actions. The first is finding a community, right? So finding a supportive community of like-minded folks that you can be in community with. And you gave the concrete example of, for you, right now in this moment, one of the communities that you're engaged in is the, the community that you're in for your master's program. Uh, but you gave us the example of communities to practice. If you're in Montana or wherever state you are, your nonprofit association, right, can be a space for that through the, through the various programming. So that's one thing that I, I heard you share. Another thing I heard you share is about grace, the importance of giving yourself grace and being able to extend that and share that um, with others. I heard you also dismantling this idea that you have to be at 120% all the time, right? I was in a training yesterday and, and the, the person that was leading reminded us that 92% is still an A, right? <laughs> yeah. So 92% is, is still an A. So you need to push to get those extra percentage points just because, right? And if you do feel that impulse, then what is really there? Is it really, to your point, serving the mission? Is it serving the current priorities for you to give that extra push to that thing? And then the final thing that I think I heard you say was do nothing. So making space to rest, to restore, and to just do nothing. Yeah, that, wow, that was like incredibly said. Thank you. Can you just maybe pre-do that for me every day? Just say, <laughs> are your points? Yeah, absolutely. I think in that, like unlearning that, do nothing. There's been some really cool, the NAP ministry is a resource that I yes. 
like that I that concept of do nothing. There's there's been some cool thought leaders that that push that and recognize that. And it's easy to say, but then you're like, oh, I really have to not do nothing and then not feel guilty about it or yes. bemoan that I did nothing. Yeah, really yes. well summarized. I just took I'm just listening to you and, and feeding it back to you. So it's 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 wonderful. And I, I hope that folks that are listening are really being fed by by what you're sharing here today. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. So we talked about how you stay inspired and motivated. Let's talk about people call it different things. I, I call it work-life balance because I feel like that is that's a commonly shared language that people understand. So let's talk about that. So what does putting that into practice look like for you? So how do you create balance in a dynamic where you have demanding work, you have lots of clients that you are serving, people are literally out there saving lives. How do you balance that with being able to make space for your master's program, being able to make space for the reading that you like to do, the sci-fi? How do you make space for that and going skiing? How do you, what does it look like for you? Are there concrete things that you're putting into practice that help you to balance those things? Yeah, great question. I do think the structural change of MA having a 32-hour work week is probably the single biggest thing. Cause I, I can say, oh, well, I have I like to organize my day or I like to do my top three things I want to do today, or I like to plan out my week and kind of chunk time. Yeah, I do all those things, but having the flexibility for my employer to say, you have a day a week, you have eight hours a week that we're gifting back to you. We're not going to dock your pay, like we're going to do that. So I don't want to ignore the structural, like big thing that yes. has to facilitate that's that pursuit of balance. Another structural thing I just started this year, which was due to flexibility from my employer is I'm doing like a 10 to six most days. So working from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. versus nine to five, which I think having those extra two hours for me in the morning is like <laughs> such a big difference. Yes. So that's, those are two things that are not like universalizable unless you go talk to your other employees and your coworkers and you're like, okay, how can we as a collective make, and um, I'm going to circle back and yeah. ask you about that. Yeah. So I'm gonna circle back to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the other things that, so I don't want to like say, oh, just do what I do. Recognizing like I have a ton of like flexibility mm -hmm. and support and privilege, but I do think another practice I've been working on is starting my days, not working and making a little space to take the dog for a walk, do like some stretching or just sitting and journaling. And then really highlighting like the three most important life things I need to do that are not school, that are not work, but call my grandma, yeah. <laughs> write it down and get my, do my laundry, whatever it is, which seems so silly, but I think we can let those life things stack up. And then it feels like stressful to do these things that should bring us joy because it's connecting with yes. our family. It's making our homes feel like a space we want to go home and back to. I really tried to start like identifying my top three, which I think in your journal, which I don't have on my desk right now, but like- Oh, the intention planner? Yeah, the intention yes. planner. Like that, those are those practices, which I think are, they can make a huge difference just in reframing the kind of chaos uh, that I wake up with in my brain <laughs> and like over time yes. that's helped a lot. Awesome. And so what I heard in that is that there are, so, so you acknowledge your privilege with the flexibility piece, which I think is majorly important. I actually want to ask you a follow-up question about that. So you have this 
you have two things going on in terms of flexibility. You have the 32 hour work week, and then you have the flexibility to change your start in time for your day in a way that works. It sounds like for your natural body rhythm. And so I want to come back to that. But it also sounds like you're doing some things, notwithstanding the schedule and the flexibility, you made a commitment to, to not do work, to, to not start your day with work. You've made a commitment to doing something for yourself, whether that's walking the dog or journaling or stretching. So I think those are two very powerful things. And then you talked about making space also to focus on the life things. You talked about identifying the big three life things you need to do for that day. And I love that you talked about the importance of doing it in a consistent way so that the things don't pile up and stress us out. I think that's so and so important that you made that that you made that distinction. So I want to ask you about the 32 hour work week. I wanna ask you about this, this scheduling flexibility with the start and stop time, but is there anything else you wanna say about your personal practices or rituals in terms of finding balance? No, I think that's a good summary. And I think a, one of the catalysts for shifting my mindset there is I think as a young professional, you give so much to your, to your work that you don't always leave that like extra energy for yourself when you get back at the end of the day. And you, and we're not learning how to do that. It's not like a skill we're taught in, <laughs> in, in college yes. growing up or in vocational school. Like it's not what we learn. And I am getting married this June, which is quite exciting, but well, congratulations! <laughs> I, as you're living with a partner and learning to deepen that commitment to somebody if you get home every day and you're like upset because you're tired, you haven't created any space left till you've given all your energy to the people that you're serving, to your job, to your manager, whoever, and then you get home and you're like, oh, do I even like, you know, this person? I just want to be alone. And it's no, I do like this person and I want to have energy at the end of the day. I don't have children, but that's right. Another thing is you want to have energy for these like really important pieces of who we are. And that yes. reframe also was super helpful for me that was different from when I was like young and fun and in my twenties and like, did not have that, like that thing that I really wanted to make sure I was saving energy for. Yeah. And yes. I didn't mean to just refer to my fiance as a thing, but it happened. So <laughs> another thing <laughs> on the list, we got it. <laughs> All right. It's time for a break. We'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsors. Changemakers like you are driven to do more and more often with fewer and fewer resources. But there comes a breaking point where your passion dwindles under the weight of pressure, the mission suffers, and you feel like you love the work more than it loves you back. That's why I wrote the book, How to Thrive When Work Doesn't Love You Back, a practical guide for taking care of yourself while changing the world with a forward by Beth Cancer, author of the Happy Healthy Nonprofit. This book is a succinct, practical, and action-based guide for changemakers seeking to make an impact without burnout. Learn more and order your copy at mindfulchangemaker.org slash books. That's mindfulchangemaker.org slash books. The reality is if you really want to make a difference, you must start by taking time for yourself right now because you can't change the world if you're not around long enough to make that happen. This isn't about working harder and smarter. It's about making a commitment to work differently so you can take care of yourself while making an impact for the long haul. In How to Thrive and Work Doesn't Love You Back, I share practical strategies grounded in the well-being while well-doing change framework. And I wrote this book after experiencing more than my fair share of burnout and overwhelm 
in the name of saving the world during my previous career in government and nonprofit work. I share what I've learned to be the most impactful strategies for my personal practice and my experience helping change makers around the world just like you create lasting balance in their lives. These are the same strategies I teach teams and organizations through my live trainings, self-paced courses, coaching programs, and tools like the Intention Planner. Each chapter has a summary of key ideas and a checklist of practices you can start implementing right away. I know you need practical strategies and resources to help you create sustained balance in your life and work so you can lower your stress level and focus on getting the important things done right now. So, this book isn't about theoretical concepts. It's about what to do and how to do it. Learn more and order your copy at mindfulchangemaker.org books. That's mindfulchangemaker.org books. All right, let's get back to our conversation. So let, let me ask you this about the 32 hour work. So I'll ask it this way. So has M&A always had the 32 hour work week? If not, can you maybe briefly give us pre, what was life like pre 32 hour work week and how you got to where you are and how it's working out? And as you're thinking about that, one of the things that I share with organizations and folks that are asking about this modified work week schedule is I share with people that in order for it to be effective, you have to right size the workload as well, right? You can't just say, oh yeah, we, we can do 20 hours, we can do 30 hours, but you, we still have the expectation that you're gonna do the equivalent of whatever we expected for the 40 hour work week, which is generally for most of us, it's between 50 and 80 hours really, it's not really 40 hours anyway, but I'm gonna hand it over to you. So what, what thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> So in 2021, we we started talking as a staff and had been working hybrid, virtual, a little in the office, a little remotely at a pretty high, fast pace through that the 2020-2021 part of the pandemic, where we we're really trying to make sure we're reaching the high need, pivoting to where there is demand and making sure folks had what they need, whether that was yeah, funding, support, resources conversation community. And so by fall of 2021, our team was like pretty stressed, pretty burnt out, pretty losing some of our excitement and creativity and ability to perform at a high level. And so we started looking at what it's good for each of us individually to take stock of how do we take care of ourselves, but also what do we need to do as a team to sustain this team in a way that ensures like we have the space to take care of ourselves and to really focus on what is urgent and what is needed, which that list doesn't get shorter, right? We were, it's not like things went away, right? So yes. how can we do all of that? And so we actually started at a pilot. There was a 32 hour work week pilot and our leadership was on board. Our board was on board. They took the risk and the advocacy, right? To step out and say, let's do this. And I think when we talk about that decision-making, it's like, our leaders, our key people in leadership positions were willing to take that risk and willing to advocate for the team. And also we had a team that was vocal and was safe, like it was a safe enough environment to be vocal about what yes. we needed to sustain the work. And so I think it's that partnership. Often we say, oh, it's the leadership. They, they did this or, oh, it's because they demanded it. And it's no, we met in a really cool spot. So we did a pilot through 2022, April 2022 through October-ish of 2022. A lot of growing pains, a lot of adjusting. We've had so many conversations about how to say no to things. 
And what I'm finding is we're not saying no to things that we would have done before. What we would have done before is say yes to them, over promise, and then under deliver on it. And now instead of- So I, I want to pause that. I want you to, can you emphasize what you just, because I think people who are listening need to yeah. understand that this is the default dynamic in a lot of organizations. Can you say that again? Yeah. So the default dynamic is over promise, under deliver, right? And then not hold ourselves accountable to those things we said we would do that we never really do or we don't do the right way. And so I don't think we're doing, it's, it's not that we're saying no more to things we would have done otherwise. We are saying no to things that we used to say yes to that we still never did. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> we can accurately assess our capacity. We wouldn't have gotten this work done if all of our staff were working 70 hours a week but we used to say yes to it. And now we're slowly trying to learn to say, Ooh, is this a priority? Does it fit into our strategy? Are we doing other work that's more important? And if, depending on the answer to those questions, if it's no, this isn't a priority, we're not even, we're not going to be able to do it. Let's not waste our time envisioning it and feeling stress about adding this like others yes. to our cognitive load. So I'm not going to say that we are all like rock stars and doing it every day and crushing that decision-making. But I would say that we're coming along in that when we talk to other organizations, it's harder to say no. If you're in direct service, it's harder to say no when you're fundraising for <clears throat> a big project. But I think that lesson can be in there is like, how can we accurately assess what we can really do? And then over-deliver on the things we've really committed to, and we've committed to those because our board has said it's important, because our members have said it's important. So let's focus on that and move the needle okay. forward. So without getting into details that you may not be able to share publicly, uh, can you give us examples of things that you all have said no to? Have you said no to new projects, new partnerships? Have you, have you said no to applying for new grants? Can you give us a high level generally? What are the types of things that you all have said no to that was really hard for you to do? Yeah, I think some of the things have been like one-on-one -on -one consulting projects. So it's an organization might want us to come in and, and do this thing. And it's, wow, we'd love to, it'd be great learning for us. It'd be great relationship development. It'd generate some revenue. Like all of those are good things. So you said no to money. Okay. Said no to money. Oh yeah, we did. And we've said no to, to some partnerships. We've said no to like it's tough sometimes to say no to initiatives or having a speaker come or whatever that might be, because it's no, we want to focus our energy and resources on the things we've already committed to. So we've said or tried to say no to yes. a couple of yeah money projects, partnership projects, and even our own initiatives that were like, oh, we said yes to this and actually... We might so you renegotiated in you, re future. you renegotiated things you said yes to already. Okay. Yeah. And that one is more internally. If we're like, oh, this was on our strategic plan. Do we have the bandwidth for it? No. The other side of that is we are still trying to work on with our limited hours. How do we make it feel like we're not like cutting down on the services and the, you know, what yes. we provide and instead figuring out how can we work? How can we really work be on it when we show up? Not at like, oh, you have to be 100% A plus every day, but how are we making sure we're using our time effectively individually and as a team um, and still being present for our members? So, so 
it's a balancing journey. Yes, it's, it's an ongoing process. And so what I'm gathering from this, I would pull out some basic principles. It's an ongoing process of adjusting. And part of this ongoing process of adjusting requires sounds like open and continuous communication, right? So that's one thing I'm gathering from what you shared. The second thing I'm gathering is that it, it sounds like there's clarity as a group about what the priorities are, right? You all are on the same page about what your collective priorities are. And you're tying that to an awareness of some kind of assessment of capacity, right? Mm -hmm. I think where a lot of folks fall down is they're, they may be good at identifying the priorities that might be aligned with the strategic plan, but where the mismatch and where the frustration comes in is we haven't done a really good job of matching up the priorities to the available resources. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I love, yes, more than fair. 10 out of 10. Let me ask you this. Was there anything else you want to say on that? I want to pivot to the work that we've done together, but is there anything else you want to say on this particular question about balance or how you all have been able to, and how you're continuing to make this, this experiment work for you all? Yeah, I think, I think having some pilot and some research and some team conversations are, is great. I think not letting perfect be the enemy of the good is super important. And I also think, and this is related to the first part of what we talked about is if you're struggling to find balance and to find joy and to find connection, do not beat yourself up because there's only so much you as an individual can do. You, you also have to take into account the environment that you're in and recognize yes. I can do my part, but the environment I'm in also might need to change instead of feeling guilty that it's like, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to read my book or whatever. It's because you might not. So what can you do for yourself? But then also, when do you need to reach out to your colleagues, to your supervisors to say, I need more. And I know it's not just me that needs it. I know it's my whole team. Like we're in this together. And I think that community or solidarity can shift like the guilt and shame of I'm tired yes. all the time and I feel bad for being tired all the time to, oh, we're all impacted by this. What can we do to shift the culture? Yes. So I think that was so beautifully said, and I appreciate that you provided the, the, the appropriate context for folks, right? And really helping people to feel seen in terms of what their current situation might be. And so I, I appreciate that. So I think that brings us to a really good point in our conversation to talk about the work that we've done together. So we worked together during the pandemic and I'm curious. So we did some work together with your community. You, you had me come in for a conference and we did a couple of engagements through that conference. And then you also mentioned the intention planner. So I'm wondering if maybe you could just describe the work that we did together and what the impact has been on you and the members that you've seen have been exposed to the work that we did together. Yeah. Thank you for asking this question because you are one of, well, and everybody like this was not a pre-scripted answer. Working with Miko was one of the best like speakers I've ever worked with. It was such a delightful partnership just for me as an individual and as a person, like it was quite nice to work and co-create an experience for our audience, which is not always the case. So that individually was quite nice and enjoyable. I think 
having, we have so many folks talk about wellness and being in work-life balance and it can feel like not tangible and like too pie in the sky. And I think what was really cool about, I think you did a coffee talk as well as a keynote is connecting these like how do I organize my life better? How do I feel more joy and productivity? Connecting that really to tangible, actionable steps that were helpful. And whether that was in the form of the intention planner, of here's a tool you can use, whether it was in the form of conversations to have with yourself, really practical things of like where, you know, how and when to engage in technology. People walked yes. away with that than more much more than I've seen other presentations around this topic go where it ends as soon as you leave the the session and you're like, oh, I guess like I'm going to wake up tomorrow and not do any of these things. I think what we saw from the engagement through your session and then through the feedback afterwards was a lot of, oh, these are things I can actually do and, and make a difference. I also will note that you're keynote was right before we had the conversation about the 40 work week. And so I do think oh, like, okay. Yeah, listened to and took to heart. Okay. How can we make this a structural thing? And then this other opportunity came up a couple months afterwards. And I have to think that like some of those conversations and thoughts spurred by the work you've done and the conversations you led for us helped facilitate that. What I was talking about earlier, that partnership between our staff and our leadership where we were all like, oh yeah, we need to do this differently. Yeah. A lot of ripple effects, maybe directly to me having my living my best life with 30 hour <laughs> um, into the folks that we've shared that, that planner with the folks that have watched the keynote. Yeah. Really impactful. And also just fun and delightful to work with you. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm excited to hear that and, and delighted to hear that. I'm curious, are you a planner person? Do you actually use, did you use the intention planner? What's been your experience with it? Yeah, I have used it. I haven't used it as consistently since last year, but it was really helpful because I think I am a, like, I have my virtual planner, but I need to write things down, sit down and write things down and having the structure of getting to go back and force my brain to do, walk through some of the activities and tasks and then reflect back on, on where it was. So I don't think I've finished it. Don't tell Nico. But... <laughs> Starting it was super helpful in, in, in getting that consistency and structure that we were talking about earlier around charting our day and being thoughtful about what it is we want to get out of today and tomorrow and the week and the year and all of that. Awesome. And so you mentioned the virtual planning tool. One of the things I share when I share the intention planner that is it's not necessarily right for everyone. And I acknowledge that there, there are plenty of tools out there. My invitation is always to find the tool, tools that work best for you. So you mentioned a virtual planning tool. So for folks that might be looking for something similar, that's virtual or digital. Do you mind sharing what that tool is that you use? I do, it's just, it's like for tasks. Cause I, which is okay. different for me than an intention. Like it is for like communicating. Like a task manager. Yeah. And we okay. we're, we're a Microsoft office team. So we use planner, which is okay. like embedded one, which is fine. It's great. It works, but it definitely okay. different function from here's the goal, here's the purpose, here's how to really focus and, and use our time. Gotcha. Okay, awesome. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to share uh, in terms of our collaboration together that you wanted to share with folks before we move forward? No, I would say that we, we in our audience would highly recommend working with you as a speaker, workshop leader, facilitator. It, it was a delightful experience, really easy to work with and organize, which if you book speakers and work with speakers... <laughs> 
very high praise. And, and I think it can feel hard to pull the strings at like what's going to be helpful. And sometimes like just another talk about how we should all be living our lives better can feel like, I know, but I will say that your work helps make that actionable and tangible and in a really impactful way. So 10 out of 10 would recommend, um, and think it's wherever you can start that conversation, whether it's sharing resources or having him speak or facilitating other types of conversations is it's a good starting or continuing place. Awesome. I appreciate that. And I'm delighted that I was able to be of service to you all and to the MA community and hope there might be opportunities for us to, to collaborate in the future. And so we have had a robust conversation. So I want to thank you for that. And as we wrap up, uh, I think there's so much richness from the intention that you have with the work that you do and how you show up in the world to just help other people have a great day. I, I love that to the practical things that you're doing at the association to make work better for the staff there, but also for the organizations that you serve. What advice do you have for listeners that might be wondering how they can make an impact and show up to the work the way that you're showing up maybe for people that are maybe earlier on in their journey of folks that are listening to this and be like i've tried x y and z it didn't work you know what what advice do you have to those folks yeah i i really can't overstate how important it is to find community whether that's with in your colleagues and your coworkers, and recognizing we we are here in this together and let's figure out how we can support each other and how we can have each other's backs and how we can talk through things. Even if your coworker is radically different from you, like figuring out like, how do we build those relationships? I will say that has been incredibly transformational for me it is not just being like, oh, I, and there's boundaries too, right? You have to have boundaries in those relationships, but I think recognizing you are stronger together with the people you work with. It doesn't, if, if you're working in a different environment or situation, like figuring out who that community is that gives you strength and keeps you going outside of that is helpful. But I, I can't oversell or overstate how helpful and important and impactful it is to find solidarity with the people you work with, because otherwise you're one person trying to navigate this like very complicated system, trying to make your life feel more joyful things are stacked against you or us sometimes. And so how do we find community and build that like interconnected resilience so that the work you're doing on your own self can like flourish and you can celebrate that with others versus rolling the boulder up the hill every day alone. Yeah, build that. And the other side of that is if you're in a spot where you can't find that community or build those relationships or you feel isolated, then like you might, there's probably another space out there for you where people will be excited to build those relationships. So that's the bless and release aspect of of that community piece. I love that. And I love that you, at least I'm summarizing it as what what I think I heard you say was interconnected resilience. I, I love that way of describing it. And, and I think one of the things that I see in working with um, change makers in this space is sometimes a key aspect of the healing from the suffering that we're experiencing is simply 
by helping people to be aware of the fact that you're not alone. You're not the only one. Sometimes the suffering is exacerbated because we feel like we're the only ones. And a tremendous weight can be lifted when we just are able to realize that, hey, you're not alone, that there are other folks that are on a similar journey that are trying to figure this out together. Let's combine our powers. And so I, I, I love that. As we wrap up today, can you tell us a little bit about what is next for you? I know that you mentioned that you're working on your master's degree. I'm not sure if there's something specific in terms of projects that you're looking to do with that. And is there anything you want to share in terms of what's next for maybe specific initiatives at, at MA? Yeah, I think we're continuing to make sure that we're carrying, capturing those foundational elements that nonprofit folks need, working with our broader community across the country that does this work. And I think in the next couple of years, we'll really be digging into shared leadership and thinking about reimagining some of these organizational structures and norms to see how can we empower next generation of leaders to come in and really move impact forward. So I'm excited to keep exploring those conversations and have the incredible thought leadership of folks like Miko, folks like, there's a long list, so I'm not going <laughs> to all, but so many people are more visibly pushing the, the norms and boundaries of how can we take care of ourselves today? And then also what can we build that's going to be better for our communities and our mission tomorrow? So I'm really excited to continue that work and see where it goes because it's a new conversation for some of us, it's an ongoing conversation for others. And I think there's such a diversity of perspectives that can really like help us shift what we think is possible. Awesome. Well, I, I love that in terms of shifting what we think is possible or expanding the imagination of what is possible. So I imagine lots of folks listening to this conversation are going to want to be in touch with you, uh, specifically about some of the strategies that you talked about. I know some folks are going to want to know how can we do what you did in terms of the 32-hour work week for our organization. So for those folks that are like that, where can they go to learn more about you and to stay connected? Yeah, great question. I'm super happy to chat through like shifting from the 32-hour work week, put folks in connection, contact with other resources that are like, here's really how to do it. I would say reach out. I think I have a LinkedIn profile, <laughs> so you can find me there. You can also find me on, I think, Twitter and Instagram, Shelby Rogala. I think I'm the only one out there, although maybe you'll find some other. <laughs> um, and then I will share my work email too, that folks can feel free to reach out with as well. And I don't know if I should share that verbally or, or chat it. We can put it into the, yeah, feel the, free to. yeah, we can put it into the follow-up information for folks. So yeah, awesome. Definitely. Awesome. This has been a wonderful, I think, joy-filled and inspiring conversation. So I appreciate you making the time and I hope that we can get an update at some point about maybe you all have gone to a 10 hour work week. I don't know. <laughs> Just a four hour work week. It's done. We're here. We're making it look good. Yeah. Excited. Really great to have this conversation today. It was fun to step back from the emails and projects that I've got going on right now and think about some of those bigger picture questions and bringing your clarity and insight as well. I'm walking away with some neat things to chew on and to bring back to my team. So thank you. Thanks to those listening and excited. Yeah. To continue the conversation down the road. Awesome. With that, we will sign off. Thank you all for listening and I look forward to you in the next episode. 
I want to take a moment to tell you about a live virtual program to help change makers like you take better care of yourself while creating a positive impact in the world. It's a live virtual two-day interactive experience designed to help you increase your well-being so you can increase your well-doing. This retreat focuses on practices and strategies connected to the change framework for well-being while well-doing from my latest book, How to Thrive When Work Doesn't Love You Back. The framework addresses the U.S. Surgeon General's five essentials for workplace mental health and well-being. Learn more at mindfulchangemaker.org slash retreat. Again, that's mindfulchangemaker.org slash retreat. During the retreat, we tackle the inner work of things such as guilt about not being able to always get it all done, fear of setting boundaries, the anxiety of imposter syndrome, and adjusting to the world of hybrid work, among other things. We'll also tackle the outer work of things such as setting intentional goals, effective priority setting, especially when everything seems urgent and important, setting and protecting boundaries, and making space to rest and recharge in a sustainable way. When you sign up, you get support from a community of smart, heart-centered change makers just like you, and also one year of unlimited access to video lessons, handouts, and an invitation to return to any of the live monthly retreat sessions we host. Learn more at mindfulchangemaker.org slash retreat. That's mindfulchangemaker.org slash retreat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dear Mindful Changemaker podcast. Are you ready to finally prioritize your well-being so you can increase your impact in changing the world? Join the Mindful Changemaker community and take the next step on your journey to increase your well-being while well-doing. It's 100% free when you join at mindfulchangemaker.org slash join. Again, that's mindfulchangemaker.org slash join. Until next time, I'm Miko Marquette Whitlock. Take it one intentional moment at a time.